Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right. Welcome into another edition of Managing Expectations. It's a special episode. It's a Monday. It's not the normal Wednesday or Thursday or whenever the hell I get around to it. It's special because the 2022 regular season is over in MLS. Decision day came and went. 14 teams are out and the playoffs start next week. But the reason we're here today on a Monday, uh, very special, is to go over the awards ballot. I figured this was a good place to explain my ballot and kind of reflect on the main characters of the 2022 MLS season. Uh, Ballots were open as of last week. I have kind of a personal rule that I I won't ever file my official ballot until after decision day. It's open until 5 p.m. Eastern on Monday. That's kind of the ritual that I've done because I think that you should you know, be in, including all 34 games, not filing a little early. Uh, somebody like, you know, Daniel Gosdog, Brenner, they had big days that I could have factored into best 11 or whatever. But hey, I think that it's just good form to wait until the end of the season. Um, after I kind of go through all that, I'm going to give you some cliff notes on the offseason stories you should be paying attention to this week and next. Remember, 14 of the 28 teams, or 15 to 29 if you count St. Louis, um, are officially into offseason mode. A good handful of them have been in offseason mode for the better part of a month. Yet Wayne Rooney at DC United uh, kind of putting his name on uh, yesterday before the game pretty much like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of changes. Like he was he wasn't hiding anything. And, and that was good. That was honesty, I think, because we all knew that there was going to be a lot of changes there. Uh, so, yeah, it'll, it, it's going to be very busy paying attention to all that, paying attention to the playoffs, all the other stuff. Um, please send me reminders to occasionally put my phone down and log off Twitter. My mental and, and physical health thanks you in advance. All right. Uh, here we go. On to the award ballot. My award ballot for the 2022 MLS MVP, I voted Hani Mukhtar of National SC. Um, second, I would have had. They, they didn't, for full disclosure, the official ballot didn't have second and third place votes. I know that like MLB and, and other sports and NBA have the second and third place that are factored in. But for MLS, they just do, you know, you vote who you think won and that's it. But I'm going to, you know, over explain here. That, that's what a podcast is for, right? So I had Hani Mukhtar. That, that guy, he got my vote. Uh, second would have been Sebastian Dreyusi of Austin. And third would have been Daniel Gazdag of Philly. Uh, Hani was just a single a individualistic force that nobody else was from start to finish in the league this year. Hani had 23 goals and 11 assists. He led the league in combined goals plus assists. Like, you know, it, it's Dryusi had a similar impact on the Austin attack, though I think the Austin attack was a little bit deeper, a little bit better, and, and a little bit kind of more structured in in allowing him to to kind of succeed. Nashville. Maybe this is unfair, and maybe we're looking too much into the word valuable, but where would this Nashville attack be without Hani Mukhtar? So he had um, a hand in 34 of their 52 goals. Um, I don't, I didn't run any numbers, but I'm fairly certain that that's going to be the, the biggest percentage in the league. Um, and even just beyond those numbers, like the attack so often came down to let's try to get Hani in space, and he'll figure it out from there. Like Dax McCarty, like when Nashville were on there kind of the worst run of the season in the summer. It was the home playoff game that ended up slipping away, but but this team, they were underperforming. And Dax kind of had this, this really good kind of monologue in, in a post-game press conference, like pretty much saying, we all suck except for Hani. <laughs> like, we're like, he's the only one that's pulling his weight, and it's not fair to him. 
We need to give him more support. So it's like even, you know, the leaders of that locker room were talking about Hani Mukhtar. And I believe last year I, I voted him second in MVP. That doesn't really have anything to do with this. But this is sustained excellence for like two and a half seasons for Hani Mukhtar. I think we need to talk about him as the best player in the league or one of the best players. Um, Another kind of nerd sicko thing I do is I have my own private MLS top 50, top fives at, at all positions uh, that I'm going to be updating this week. You know, Hani's got to be number one for me right now. Like he's he, he's really on another level when it, when it comes to what he does for this team. And it's like he came in kind of as a 10, but it, it was pretty quick pretty quickly figured out that like him playing as like a second forward in, in a three, five, two or, or whatever they are. And, you know, even in the four, two, three, one, it's more like a four, two, two, two. Now with Hani playing as a second striker, it's completely unlocked. him. I mean, the game has been really great for him. And, you know, part of me thinks, what would he look like if there was, you know, like what if Ake Loba did look like a $7 million DP forward? What would this look like? He's like CJ Sapong and him have really good chemistry. But what if there was an attack like FC Cincinnati, like Lucho Casa led the league with 19 assists. Part of that was because Brenner and Vasquez each had 18 goals, and and those two players were dependable and you know fairly consistent center forwards in this league. What what would Hani's look like? Um, I do think it, it also is fair to point out Hani's um, penalty statistics. I don't. I'm not of the opinion that you need to like penalize a guy because he's good at taking penalties. Like Chicharito would have had more goals if he could take if he could finish penalties. Um, I don't think that Hani should be. Uh, what's the word? penalized or looked down because the best players in the league, the best goal scorers, they often take the penalties. At the beginning of the season, Hani wasn't taking penalties. He said that he was kind of retooling his his form and, and his method, and he wanted to kind of perfect that. He ended up going six for seven this year in penalties. So six of his 23 were from the spot. Sebastian Dreyusi, he was four for four from the spot. So it's not like it was he had six extra goals ahead of Dreyusi, but, but that factors into it. Daniel Godzog, who finished third both um, in Golden Boot and my MVP vote, he had a bunch of penalties as well, but he had 22 goals and 10 assists. I'd still, he had more counting numbers than Dryusi did, uh, Gazdog, but I still had Dryusi second just because of his excellent season, pretty start to get, start to finish. Like Austin were one of the pleasant surprises in the league. I think we all knew that Dryusi was a really, really good player, but he kind of shown himself to be one of the very best individuals in the league. One of the, somebody who could kind of, like there was a lot of structure to what Austin does but he's somebody who could fit within the structure while also being the, the entertaining individual that all these like great, great players are. So I think Triusi deserves credit for both of that. And and for me, I, I think that that was a pretty comfortable second place. God's dog again, you know, really strong, particularly final day of the season with, with you know, three goals or whatever it was, it was a, it was a good finish. So, so th- those three would have been my top three for MVP. Defensive player of the year was a difficult one because it was numerous players from the same team. It was difficult to separate the Philadelphia Union defensive trio and, and Jack Elliott just because of restrictions to who gets nominated or not. Jack Elliott wasn't even nominated. So it was, for me, I voted Jacob Glesnes first. Um, Jack Elliott, even though he wasn't on the ballot, I voted him second. Then Alexander Cowan's third. Like, you know, I, I know a lot of people gave Kai Wagner, and a lot of people will give Kai Wagner his love, I do agree that, like, it's a defensive award, but, like, attacking output should play a role. It shouldn't be the biggest point, but it, it should count, right? Like, part of a modern defender is their ability to attack. Like, one of the reasons why Alex Cowens was so valuable is the way that he progressed the ball in that NYCFC defense, particularly when they went to a back three, and he was really kind of stepping forward more and more. And Jack Elliott, he... he 
He's a good passer. And Lesnar's for the things that he does kind of on the ball. But for me, it, it was really splitting hairs, particularly Lesnar, Elliott, Wagner, Collins. I saw, I, I kind of deferred the sources on this. I, I reached out to some people at, at Philly that I really respect and, and know more than me. And then granted, you know, it's a low bar to know more than me, particularly about being on the inside of this with these guys. Um, and, and I reached out to a few people and the general consensus was Jacob Lesnar. And I kind of asked for why, why him over Elliot, what separates them? I know it's really tough. It's probably like picking between you're like asking somebody to pick their favorite kid when it comes to, to these guys. I, I like, I know that Philly would hope for all of these defenders to get the praise and the awards that, that they deserve. But um, I was kind of told the way that Glesnes organizes the back line shouldn't be overlooked. Um, I know that their lives are a little bit easier when you have the security blanket of Andre Blake behind you, who we'll get to in a minute. And when you have Jose Martinez, who I believe is still probably the best defensive man in the league. When you have that structure around you, it's very helpful. But what Glesnes does that, that we probably don't always notice, like the, the organizational stuff, the positional stuff, that, that it's really difficult to quantify what defenders do. Um, and uh, so often this award comes down to just pick the best defender from the best defense or something like that. You know, Walker Zimmerman was pretty dominant the past few years. I thought he was pretty easy. This year is a bit more difficult. And again, I went with Glesnitz because of, of talking to sources and, you know, them pointing to him. But, you know, this was the best defense in the league. Until they gave up four goals to Charlotte, they had a chance at being like one of the top three most stingy defenses in, in league history. While also like they led the league in goals scored and they had the fewest goals against. It's really incredible what the Philadelphia Union did this year. Um, so they're you're going to hear their names a lot on the rest of this podcast. But yeah, that's that's why I want Jacob Glesnitz for defender of the year. Sticking with the Philly theme, goalkeeper of the year, I went with Andre Blake, Luke Georgie Petrovich was my second vote. I heard a lot of people saying that, you know, maybe if he played another thousand minutes, he would have been the goalkeeper. The a popular frame has been Andre Blake is getting the 2020 goalkeeper of the year vote. But I think Georgie Petrovic is the best goalkeeper in the league. I understand that opinion. I think that I, I like, I, I'd be really surprised if Andre Blake didn't win this just because of the success that they had and how deserving he was. Georgie Petrovic has obviously been phenomenal. Um, I'd like to see it for a little bit longer before I declare him better than Andre Blake. Even like Andre Blake had a down year a few years ago. Like I'm, I'm hesitant to call somebody the best in the league in, in general without some longevity. So Andre Blake should be, win, should win goalkeeper of the year and, and he should be kind of viewed as the best goalie in the league. Um, Petrovic had a better, you know, goals minus goals expected, whatever the, the, the technical term from an American soccer analysis is it's pretty much that he concedes a lot fewer goals than you'd expect based on his shot stopping ability. Part of that was buoyed because he saved four penalties. And when you, your team concedes 12 penalties while you're in goal, the expected goals against goes way, way up. So there was a lot of, lot more room. They, they faced a ton more shots than the Philadelphia Union. That defense was, was really, really struggling. That's part that's why they didn't make the playoffs this year, even as the attack faltered throughout the year. So I like, that's a long-winded way of saying it. I think that Petrovic had a phenomenal year, and it was really impressive how quickly he deb- how quickly he found form in deb- debuting in a new league, all that stuff, coming from the Serbian league. Uh, Bruce Arena said that the connection kind of came through an agent. I was talking to more people at the club that they spotted Petrovic from data, and it turns out they, they had a good relationship with an agent over there in Serbia. And Bruce gave a funny quote of like, yeah, he was probably one of the easier players we've ever signed because – it didn't take me more than three minutes watching his, his videos to to say, okay, we I think we need to go sign him. So that was that was pretty funny. Um, but like maybe if Blake was in that situation, he would have had a similar 
um, goals minus expected, goals against minus expected goals against. Who knows? Um, I think pretty comfortably, pretty easily, Andre Blake going to be goal of the year. Jim Curtin was doing his best to petition for him to be MVP. That That's not going to happen. I know he's not going to be anywhere near the ballot, but I, I respect the campaign regardless. So yeah, Andre Blake. And then uh, Iljazi Ivasic in Portland, quietly a really, really good year. He was brought in a few years ago to be the starter. And then Steve Clark kind of kept that job. Ivasic had a couple injuries, one of which I think the club didn't know about. And that led to some legality with the team he was signed from. But he wasn't starting for a couple years, and, and there was no 100% guarantee he was going to be the starter this year. And he was really, really good. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do next year. But so, yeah, Ivasic, if they ask me for a top three, even third. But Andre Blake, um, I think, is going to run away with this with this uh, award. But Georgi Petrovic, here's a good transition, fear not. MLS Newcomer of the Year. For me, my vote was Georgi Petrovic of the New England Revolution. Again, don't want to get too stuck into this for all the reasons that, that I just laid out. Georgi was phenomenal. Um, it was simultaneously kind of a difficult category to vote for in that there was no clear and obvious winner, I think, until Petrovic continued his form over the last month. But other than that, like, there were some summer signings. There were some guys like – I. so my second on the ballot would have been Mikhail Ura with Philadelphia. He was signed in the winter, but he came on really slowly. I think he scored his first goal in, in May or, or June, so something like that. Like, he was almost like a summer signing just because it took him a little while to get to fitness and form – Again, the injuries and stuff and, and to really ramp up and how that attack unlocked in June with Mikhail Urich, Daniel Gazdag, and Julian Carranza. Again, you can almost throw out the first half of the season. So there was a lot of players that, you know, I'm trying to think of the biggest signings from the winter, like Jared Anchikiri maybe. Um, they, they weren't really in the conversation because, again, third I had Federico Bernadeschi. He's just been phenomenal, awesome in this half year for Toronto. If Toronto, like, he was like even in senior, I thought it was disappointing. Like Bernadeschi was was really the only like shining light over the last couple months for Toronto. And then for the Scucho Hernandez. Um, and I think a lot of us get guilty of his first few weeks, he was incredible. He was awesome. He scored four goals in his first 120 minutes, whatever it was. He hasn't been quite that because that's unsustainable. But I think a lot of us just decided in that moment, okay, Cucho, newcomer of the year, because he's obviously gonna continue this form. Columbus can't possibly miss the playoffs. So I think Cujo is going to get some votes that maybe are a little short-sighted or maybe was decided before the season ended. Again, this is why I think it's so important to not put in your ballot until decision day. But regardless, for me, newcomer of the year, I went Petrovic, then it would have been Uer, Berndeski, and then Cujo Hernandez. As for coach of the year, I went with CF Montreal's Wilfred Nancy as my vote. I do think he's also going to win it, or maybe this is just, you know, there were a lot of people voting on this. It's not just media, by the way. It's it's GMs, it's it's players. Um, so from what I've seen, it seems like Nancy has a really good chance. I don't know. I think that this is going to be one of the most difficult categories. Um, but Wilfred Nancy, like, they finished with 65 points, two behind Philadelphia, two behind LAFC. Like, they were just on a supporter shield. I don't think that I gave them enough credit for that. They finished the streets really, really strong. Where this team was starting from, going back two seasons ago, Thierry Henry left, like, a week before preseason. Like, there was no plan for Nazi to be the head coach. And then they, they like, he just, all right, good luck. Like preseason starts in a week. Um, you guys, for, this was 2021. First half of the season, you can't play at home. You got to play in Florida. Um, by the way, like we only have one DP. We don't have a huge payroll. Like there was so many things like where they're, they, they struggle with, you know, they get the RSL treatment or the Dallas treatment of, you know, maybe they're overlooked for national TV games or in, French speaking Canada, like it's it, all these things that are stacked against them for all, all these awards come with narratives. There's a reason why 
like, like that that plays a that plays a big role in this. It just is what it is. So they had all this stacked against them, all this difficult him coming in for Thierry Henry. Everybody knows who Thierry Henry was. Nobody knew who Wilfred Nancy was. Like I I'm again my, my entire job revolves around this. Like I knew he was an assistant. I didn't know if he was viewed as as a long-term coach. I didn't know much about his past until he got the head coaching job. It's it's been phenomenal. Not just the the results that they've gotten last year. They, if they spent their whole season playing in Montreal rather than having to be in Florida and then um, kind of the home away from home crap that, that was unfortunate with the Canadian clubs in, in the COVID era, they should have made the playoffs last year. And this year, they, again, they, they were a bona fide, you know, top tier team alongside Philly and LAFC. This is a team like, again, uh, Victor Wanyama is their only DP. They're getting contributions like the, the development that has came from Kamal Miller after he was acquired by this team. Georgie Mihailovic going from pretty good promising young player to like halfway through the season before he got hurt. He was best 11 MVP candidate. Like he's been incredible. And now he's got a 6 million transfer to AZ Akmar in, in the Netherlands. Like this is Wilfred Nancy's development. There's so many young players who have stepped up and moved forward. Kai Kamara, it's not development and, and getting the best out of players. Isn't just limited to young players like Kai Kamara at 37 years young or whatever he is. He's been awesome as a center forward. Like if you told me that, and their goalkeeping situation is, is really, really bad. One of the worst in the league. If you told me at the beginning of the season that that goalkeeper situation and Kai Kamar was going to be a starting center forward and George Mihailovic was going to miss like a third of the year and only be like at top form for half of it, that's a borderline playoff team. Like the fact that they're up to 65 points, he's done phenomenal. There are a lot of other good options for this award, um, but my vote personally went for Nancy. Uh, some of the other ones, Phil Neville into Miami, can't say enough about how crazy it is that they made the playoffs given the restrictions to this roster, where they were in the winter, where they were at the beginning of the season. They had 22 players in, 19 players out. They lost their first two games, and I believe they gave up like nine or 10 goals. Gonzalez going in his bench. All these things that happened, like the, the fact that Phil Neville didn't lose the locker room, the fact that this group was playing above their quality, the fact that they were even in a position that with the Alejandro Pizuelo edition midseason, that they were within striking distance of playoffs. Toronto added Bernadeschi and Insigne to in-prime Italian internationals. They apparently were not within striking distance of the playoff line to, to keep them in this this summer. So Houston were with Hector Herrera and it went down. Like these, a lot of like that Pozuela move made a ton of sense kind of in theory. You never know until it's in practice. He was awesome. This team was so much fun. You know, Phil Neville had gotten a lot of criticism or a lot of doubts at the beginning of his tenure oh, you're just David Beckham's friend. That's why you got this job. You know, what? Like, did he really deserve it? What is his resume? Was he really the most qualified candidate? They had a difficult first year under him as things were kind of transitioning under a new front office and, and trying to get, like, begin a rebuild that kind of came and went, came in earnest this offseason and in, in implementing 19 new players. And, and, like, there's just so many things that, that come. Like, they, for half the season, they had no DPs. Gonzalo Guillen was on the bench. Rodolfo Bizarro was in Monterey. And their third DP spot was open. Like, that's wild. Like, it, it, it's just a really, really great job by, by Phil Neville. Similar goes for, for Pat Noonan. Like, Cincinnati didn't add that many players from a team that finished bottom of the league three straight years and a culture of losing. How quickly did they turn things around? Obi Woboto wasn't brought in until, what was it, like April or May? Um, Junior Moreno wasn't there until March. Like, they started the season with, like, one or two additions, <laughs> including, like, Ray Gaddis, who at his age came out of retirement. Like the idea when he was signed was like, all right, this will be like a locker room guy. We need, we need to revamp the culture. There wasn't that many, like Lucho Acosta, Brenner, and Vasquez were all on the team last year. 
like Miazga midseason, like that's when, when Loboto and Miazga came in midseason. That's when it was like, oh my God, like this team might be pretty good. But still, like, look at that roster, man. Like, what Pat Noonan has done in the first year at Cincinnati was really incredible. Again, I don't think he's going to win coach of the year. Like, he should be within this conversation for second or third with Phil Neville, I think. And then the other one, obviously, they won the Sporters Shield. Steve Cherundolo, first year head coach at LAFC. They weren't, like, they were overwhelming, but not the same way that, like, 2019 LAFC was. Like, they had a lot of players contributing. Carlos Vela wasn't, like, they didn't have any, like, top-tier elite, elite kind of attacking, like, outputs. You look at the team, like, they have a ton of talent, obviously. But, you know, Carlos Vela was, like, 12 goals, 11 assists, I believe. Chicho Rongo had, had a good goal tally, but was kind of, you know, maligned for from Chirondolo himself about maybe off-the-ball stuff. Whatever it was, it wasn't, like, an obvious, oh, my God, this is a superstar like Vela in 2019, right? Like, so this team, again, was really good. It's not easy to do that as a first-year head coach. I will say, though, that... He was with the group a lot. They trained together. He was the Las Vegas Light, their second team head coach last year before getting the full-time job, taking over from Bob Bradley. They added a lot of MLS experienced players. That helps um, in the season. So, you know, good for them. Chirondolo, I, I don't think he's going to win this award, but but it, it should be mentioned within the top three or four. Best XI. I'm going to try to run through this a little bit quicker because um, I've been rambling here. we got to get to some off-season stuff, and I just need to put down the microphone and go back to writing. i got a lot of stuff to do. Um, but best best 11, um, I'm going to I'm gonna give you what my best 11 is. I couldn't vote for this because of positional and formation restrictions. They make you vote in 3-4-3, and they list Hani Mukhtar and Sebastian Traussi as midfielders. Um, and I don't think that I, – I, hey, this is my podcast. I'm going to do my best 11, not, not the one that kind of went on the ballot. So – Expect some surprises when it comes to best 11 voting. For me, I always, I believe that it should resemble something like a team that could play a game. Um, I don't go 100% hard and fast with that. Like there was one year I was trying to force in a right back to make it like a 4-3-3. And then I was like, wait a minute, am I really going to put like a, a pretty good right back away, like take off an MVP candidate to make this happen? So it'll be different in some years, but generally speaking, I try to adhere to a real life formation. Um, and I think I did pretty good here. I, I feel pretty good about it. I'm not sure how this team might would do defensively, but you know, there's enough structure of a, a real life 11 that I can kind of feel good about. So we'll start with Andre Blake and goal. Obviously if I, if I voted him for goalkeeper of the year, back four, right back, DeAndre Yedlin, center back, Jacob Lesnes, center back, Alex, Alexander Collins, left back, Kai Wagner. It was difficult to put Collins ahead of Elliot. I went back and forth on that. Um, I would have felt weird about having a whole, you know, five Philly, I have Philly players be like 45% of this from one team for a team that didn't even technically win the shield. So my back four again, Yedlin, Glessis, Cowens, Wagner. Uh, midfield three of Ilya Sanchez for LAFC, uh, Lucho Costa, FC Cincinnati, and Daniel Gazdag. Um, Acosta was the assist king this year in MLS with 19 assists. He was, he also had 10 goals. This isn't 2,500 minutes. Like that's, I'm not going to do the quick math off the top of my head, but better than what a goal contribution every 90 minutes. He was so important to what they did. He was a leader too as, as well. Like his maturity, I'm not, I don't know what he was like as a leader. His role in DC wasn't to be a leader like it is here at Cincinnati. So I think that he deserves a ton of credit as well. And Daniel Gaza, we already talked about him with 22 goals and 10 assists. Um, again, like if, if you wanted to be annoying about, all right, like, well, that's too many attacking midfielders and you're going to have a front three, like, well, would we drop Gazdag, who I had third in my MVP vote from best 11 just to get, you know, a box of box midfielder in there? I didn't, I didn't think that that was realistic. Um, then the front three, Hani Mukhtar, Sebastian Dreyusi playing underneath Jesus Ferreira. Again, you could quibble about no real wingers. Maybe we could call it a 
4-4-2 tight diamond, 4-3-2-1 tight, something like that. But I think that those 11 players best represented, you know, like the main characters in MLS this year. So that came down to four players from Philly, one from LAFC, one from Cincy, one from Miami, one from NYCFC, one from Dallas, and one from Austin. Again, I feel very good about this this 11. Um, I'm glad that there was a way to fit in a cost on God's act. Um, well, I'm going to get into a second and third 11s as well here, so won't even have to run through snubs yet. But again, I think that that 4-3-3 works well enough, um, and I think that that's a really good representation of the season that was in MLS in 2022. My second team, Georgie Petrovich in goal, back four of Alistair Johnson, Jack Elliott, Walker Zimmerman, John Tolkien. Um, so that's, again, we're going to see some more Montreal players here. Um, Wanyama, uh, Victor Wanyama in the midfield, Jose Cifuentes. Those two were the probably the two toughest cuts for me from the first team, Wanyama and Cifuentes. Um, and then attacking midfielders, Manuel Reynoso, Carlos Hill, uh, Diego Fagundes, and center forward Chicharito. Chicharito uh, gets criticism, uh, but like you look at his numbers, 18 goals, two assists. He was so important. Like if he could score penalties, he'd, he would have had 20, 24 goals or something, right? You know, I think he would have won the golden boot if he could score penalties. Uh, but such is life. Um, he had some, a couple high profile misses, but again, without Chicharito on this team, I like Alex, you do not make the playoffs. Obviously Ricky Pooch as well, but again, so that we'll go through that second team again. Petrovic, Johnson, Elliott, Zimmerman, Tolkien, Onyema, Cifuentes, Reynoso, Carlos Hill, Fagundes, and Chicharito. I think again, feel pretty good about that. Carlos Hill, I had to think about, but he was just so great this year. Again, he dominated the key pass categories and a lot of that comes with set pieces, but like what he, what he represents for that team. You know, I know he's the captain, the best player of a team that won the Sporters Shield and didn't make the playoffs. He deserves, I guess, some criticism for that. But, man, he was he was like the shining light of that team throughout the entire season. There were so many games where it was just Carlos Hill and the boys and, and kind of roll the ball to Carlos and, and let's see if he can rescue something for us. So I don't think that he should be kind of um, penalized just because the team couldn't defend very well. Third 11, um, Aljaz Ibisic in goal. Back when this one's going to be 4-2-4-ish, whatever, it counts. Third team, it's not, a, not an official bout. Ibisic in goal, Ryan Hollingshead, Jesus Murillo, Kamal Miller, Diego Palacios, back line. Jose Martinez, Alejandro Bedoya in the midfield. So now we're up to, I think, eight eight of the 11 Union starters in in, in these three teams. Uh, then uh, front four of Carlos Vela on the right, Georgi Mihailovic on the left, and then Cincinnati pairing, Brandon Vasquez and Brenner at center forward. Vasquez and Brenner each had 18 goals. Vasquez had eight assists. Brenner had six assists. Um, Shout out to DC United for padding those stats on the end of the season in that 5-2 win on decision day. Um, yeah, there was there was a lot of good players. There's, I, I do hope one day we will do something more official with a second 11 and third 11 just because, look, man, picking 11 players from 2018, 2019 next year, and then 30 in the near future, it's really hard. And, like, there's a lot of good players, and, and I'm always a fan of, of more people getting recognized for their um, for their excellence, and it's it's easy to kind of forget about some of these players and, and some of the, the statistics. Look, this matters to the players. Even all-star selections matter. Like, all these things, they go into contracts. They go into – they go on your mantle place. They go on – you look at accolades when you look back on your, on your career. So I'm, I'm always a fan of there being more of that. Now, I wouldn't go crazy and be like, do I want extra time? With, you know, he wanted to do a sixth best 11. Maybe that's where the sicko cutoff is. But I, I do think that, like, the NBA has all NBA first, second, and third teams. I think that could be similar for MLS. Um I, I would love that idea. So again, those those were the, the three teams that I kind of had for best 11 of the main characters for this year. All right, well, we're up to 28 minutes. And as always, I can't stick to a word count. I can't stick to uh, to a time count. 
Um, my idea was to maybe go 20 minutes. I didn't know how long you guys wanted to hear me rambling about my award ballot. Uh, but here we are. I wanted to also do a little some off-season stories here before we get out of here. Um, some of the biggest ones, Caleb Porter's future at the Columbus Crew. I think that's the biggest one to be decided or to be, you know, keep keep looking after this week. From what I've heard, it doesn't sound good. Uh, I don't have anything that definitive, um, but just kind of from talking to sources around the league, it seemed like this might have ran his race. Caleb won MLS Cup in 2020 with this group, uh, didn't make the playoffs last year, and now this year a really bad collapse. Didn't make the playoffs again, despite the team adding Cucho Hernandez, Lucas Alrayan. Um, they dropped 24 points from winning positions. They couldn't hold a lead. They, they lost more points from the – they lost more points – in second half stoppage time than anybody in MLS history has. Uh, those are usually, you know, you're not going to change 10 players from the team. So usually in these situations, coaches would be the ones that their future get looked at. He he has one year left on his contract. Um, again, and this is somebody who's won at every stop. So there's going to be a lot of, you know, dunking on Caleb Porter, whatever happens here. There has been a lot of dunking on Caleb Porter just because of his personality and stuff. Important to remember, one MLS Cup with Columbus, one MLS Cup with Portland, won a ton of titles in college with Akron. Um, you know, this is a winner. He's going to have another job soon. If, if this is the end for him at Columbus, again, I, I want to be careful that, you know, again, while it doesn't sound great, nothing has been decided yet to my knowledge. Um, maybe that'll change by the time this is released and you're listening to it. But as of 1223 PM on Monday, we'll see what Caleb Porter's future is at Columbus. Again, I would, you know, follow me on Twitter, stage called scenario, all the heavy hitters in, in the news arena um, to, to kind of see what that's going to be. Um, and we'll see moving forward. On that, with 14 teams officially in offseason being eliminated from the playoffs, contract decisions will be announced. They can be announced as early as today. Um, I was thinking, you know, maybe a D.C., a Houston, teams that have been eliminated from the playoffs for some weeks would would make a statement and release it at like 10 a.m. this morning as like, all right, we're moving on from this season. But so nothing has been announced. I need to look through my knowledge and, and talk to people about what the kind of who some of the big names are and contract you know, MLSPA has some of that information, but teams will start announcing that soon. Some more stories to watch. Christian Latanzio, Charlotte FC. Um, again, the overwhelming expectation is that he's going to be the full-time head coach. Um, I can't say anything has been signed yet, though. So, you know, keep an eye out for official confirmation on that. That's the expectation. Houston are in, are in a head coaching search. We'll see where they go there. Uh, GM Pat Onsat has talked about MLS and winning MLS experience as, as a big qualification. So keep an eye there. St. Louis City, uh, I'm sure that there are trade talks going on. I know that they're focused only on the domestic market right now. Um, they're preparing for the expansion draft. I don't know if anything's going to be reported. Nothing can be announced if they make any trades or agree to any trades until after MLS Cup. There's a half day, there's a two-day trade window, I believe, and then it kind of shuts down again before the expansion draft. But hey, just don't forget, St. Louis are here. Um, we're going to be talking about that they're going to be the darlings of the offseason very, very soon. They have eight players on a contract for next year. Um, and they will have probably, what, 22, you know, a month and a half from now. So keep an eye on St. Louis. Um, I wouldn't expect anything to be – nothing can be announced, I don't believe, until after MLS Cup. So just keep that on the back burner. Some more stuff for this week. Joseph Martinez meeting information. There's a big disagreement with him in the front office. He's unhappy. He requested a meeting with the front office. They still need to hire a club president. Um, he's going into the final year of his contract next year. There's a lot of speculation over whether he's played his last game for Atlanta United. Um, I'm sure there will be some good reporters that will have some information on that this week or in the coming week. Sporting Kansas City, is this it for Graham Zussi, Tim Millian, Roger Espinoza? We'll see. I believe all of them were on one-year deals. I don't know that for sure off the top of my head. 
but that's another team that contract decisions. We'll, we'll hear more about that. And lastly, we have an October U.S. national team camp for guys who are eliminated from the playoffs right now. And again, off the top of my head, Jeremy Bobasi, Eric Williamson come to mind. Um, just anybody that's been within the senior team, the, the U-20s, like Brian Gutierrez, and, and they're going to be a combined camp with the U-20s with the senior guys to keep them fit, keep them training ahead of the World Cup. Obviously, your Christian Waldons and, and, and some other Jordan Morris. Uh, teams that have been eliminated so keep an eye on that i don't know when or if even u.s soccer will be announcing that whatever that is but i'm sure that'll come within a week something like that so yeah keep an eye on that oh that's about all i got i rambled a lot too many words i'm sick of hearing my own voice i'm sure you guys are too um thank you for tuning in to another episode of managing expectations um maybe i'll be back before the playoffs start this weekend with a preview maybe not we'll see keep you on your toes you know what i mean thanks cheers planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.